This morning we get to celebrate, as we said, said all morning long, is the triumphal entrance of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And I was reading a little message read by Philip Reiki, and I found some of his uh, uh, wording and some of the historical things that he had in his message, and I decided to put those into my message also this morning. So it's a combination of uh, Philip's and mine put together. But let's start, and please turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, and we'll start with verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus said to his disciples, two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you should say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled that which is spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on him, and he sat upon them. And a very great magnitude of people spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before them and those who followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude says, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We ask, Father, that it will dwell within our hearts and within our minds and that we would give you the praise and honor and glory for it, for giving us this word, that we'd be able to use it throughout this week. And we thank you for sending your son Jesus again to die on the cross for us, but also to give us this story, this history of him coming into the city of Jerusalem. And we give you all the praise and honor in your son's name, Jesus. So two of his disciples were sent. Jesus said, go into the village. He says, immediately you will see a donkey and a colt tied up. Immediately. Now I was reading sometime this week that somebody said, well, Jesus just went in there and he did this ahead of schedule. And I found that kind of blasphemous. Because he didn't do it ahead of schedule. But you're going to find out that it was done ahead of schedule because of prophecy. Not that Jesus did it, but his father did it and set everything in motion through prophecy. And that prophecy was fulfilled. And Matthew says in here that he took the, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you humble and riding on a donkey and a colt and a foal. You know, to notice that this word fulfill, the fulfill has been used in, just in Matthew alone, it's used 16 times. 
And each time that it's used and fulfilled, it's a fulfillment of prophecy for Christ. That's just in Matthew alone. You see, Jesus came to save our souls, but he also came to fulfill the spoken word that is written. He's the Messiah. He's the King. He's Jesus Christ, sent by God. Jesus was said to have filled 324 prophecies while on this earth. There was a mathematician named Peter Stoner who counted that the chance of a single man fulfilling just 48 of the prophecies found in the Old Testament would be 1 in 10, followed by 157 zeros. Kind of impossible almost. This is evidence of who Christ is. We need to understand and accept that this word written here in what we call the Bible is God's word, and it is true. There is no lie in it. And God said he would send a Messiah. He said he would send a Savior. He said he would send a King. And it happened in Jesus Christ. God's word is infallible. When he says something, he's going to do it. He doesn't retract it. He doesn't say, well, I'm not going to do it. When he says it, it becomes true because his word is true. Let's see if... Hey, it's working. Jesus, the first thing we're going to know is called Jesus the rightful king. The people of Israel always understood Zechariah's prophecy to refer to the Messiah, to God's anointed king. Matthew repeated the prophecy of Zechariah. If we go to Zechariah 9, you don't have to, but Zechariah 9, 9, it's the same thing as what I just read in Matthew. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus fulfilled just that one prophecy out of 324. That's just one. When Jesus mounted the donkey, not just as a donkey, but specifically a purebred colt. Remember, have you ever gotten on trying to get onto a foal or a, a you know, I think the foal is called a baby horse, isn't it? A baby horse called a foal? Is that what it is? A colt? <laughs> well, an unbroken horse? What are your chances of getting on an unbroken donkey? Especially one that's small, a baby. But Jesus, of course, is the creator. He controls all things. He certainly can control that. So when he mounted the donkey, he was presenting himself as Israel's promised king. By his actions, he was saying, Behold, thy king come on to you. The Jews know their scriptures, don't they? They knew their scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament, but they had the Old Testament, didn't they? They knew what was happening here. The crowd would remember the words of Zechariah. Let's turn to 1 Kings uh, 1, 38 and 39. There's another prophecy back in 1 Kings. This is symbolizing what happens when you're riding a donkey. 1 Kings, this happened to Solomon. 38 and 39. So Zodak the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehodiba, the, the Cherizites, and the 
Philites, that's really good words, isn't it? Philites, it's all the ite people, <laughs> went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule to, and took him to Gihon. Then Zodak the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn, and all the people said, Live long, King Solomon. So, this is kind of like the pretext. This is kind of like a precedent set for kings. When you become a king, and King Solomon became the king, what was he riding? A donkey, a colt. King David's mule, actually. And now King Jesus, he's becoming king. He's the king. He comes in riding a colt. So the precedence has been set. Some may have remembered <clears throat> another prophecy that was done back in Genesis 49, 10 and 11. This was a prophecy that was even further back than Zechariah and Kings. Now it's back in Genesis. And it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. The Shiloh is the Messiah, Jesus. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. It means the people will obey him. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Let's kind of go through this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. This, was on a, this scepter speaks of a kingly authority. It's a phrase that's been given to Judah, and it's not going to be taken away from the tribe of Judah. And if we read Revelations 19.15, it says that Jesus, he will rule them with an iron scepter. Then we go down to the vine, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Jesus said in John 15, 1, he says, I am the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. Did you see that relationship between the donkey and the colt and now the vine? He says, I'm the vine and now I'm riding the donkey into Jerusalem. Here's a relationship there. The prophecies are fulfilled there. He washed his garments in wine. Again, Revelation 19.15, He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And then his clothes in the blood of grapes. Revelation 19.13, He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. So the scepter is king of authority, while the phrase, nor the ruler's staff between his feet indicates the authority of Judah was given. It was given to Judah, the tribe of Judah. And was to be passed from one generation to another until Jesus comes. The leadership of the nation was given to Judah, and it was not to be challenged. For Jacob added to, to him shall be the obedience of the people. They're not to challenge this. It was given to them by God. Judah. They were to be obedient to Christ, their coming king. The name Shiloh means the bearer of rest. Shiloh does not refer to a city or a group. Shiloh is the name of the coming Messiah, the promised seed through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed, the one who brings rest for our souls and is the fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, the father of Judah. Jesus is the Christ. 
He is the Shiloh. He was the promised one through Judah. He is the prince who gives peace with God. He is the God of the rest of our souls. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He has broken the chains of sin and Satan, death and hell, and by faith in him we are accredited with righteousness, just like Abraham, the father of faith. Jacob's prophecy meant that Israel's true king would come from the tribe of Judah, and he has, and that in some way he would be associated with a colt and a donkey. What is only hinted at in Genesis 49 was made plain in the gospel. Jesus, the son of David from the tribe of Judah, rode into Jerusalem as Israel's rightful king. Now we have three prophecies fulfilled. Zechariah, 1 Kings, Genesis. We could go on and on and on. Jesus came to fulfill prophecy, not just to save us from our sins, because the prophetic word is the word of God. And as I said, when the word of God is spoken, when the word of God is written down, it's true. There's no change in it. And so somebody has to fulfill what God said would happen. And Jesus Christ is that person. I keep pushing. <laughs> and they were singing praises, Hosanna in the highest. <clears throat> Hosanna to the son of David. This word Hosanna has a couple meanings. In Hebrew it means pray, save us. And in Greek it means save now. So what they were really saying, as they were laying down their garments, waving their palms, they were saying, Hosanna, pray for us, pray for us, save us, son of David. That's what they were saying. Did they know what they were saying? I believe some did. I'm certain that Christ had met the, the needs and got into the hearts of some of those Jews at that time. Not all of them. Others were saying that they wanted to have be saved, but it wasn't be saved in Salvation-wise, it was to be saved from the Roman emperor, the Roman citizens and the Roman guards and the Roman army that were in, that, in Jerusalem. So they didn't really understand. Some didn't understand the crucifixion or the resurrection until later. They welcomed him as a victorious king. Jesus is the victorious king. You know, during the Maccabee, there was a revolt called the Maccabee Revolt. And the Jews minted coins because they had actually revolted against the Greeks and they had overcome the Greeks. And they rented coins with the image of a palm emblematic on their victory over the Greeks. That's why they waved palms when Jesus went into Jerusalem, was because of victory. They realized that he was the victorious king. And so they raved the palms for his victory. <clears throat> the crowds understood, hardly understood what they were saying. You know, most of them were looking for some political deliverance, you know, but this time 
This kind of victory is not what Jesus came, was not a political victory. It was not a victory over the Roman Empire. There was a victory over death and sin. He came to give us his life as an atonement for sin. The salvation he offers is deliverance from sin, from death and from the eternal wrath. Therefore, to ask for his salvation is to confess that you are a guilty sinner who deserves to be condemned for your sins. Hosanna is partly a cry of victory. It recognizes that Jesus has the power to save, but it's also a cry of needy desperation, isn't it? We need him. God doesn't need us. Christ doesn't need us. We need him. Without him, we are nothing. Without him, we go nowhere. Without him, we wouldn't exist. He's the creator. Jesus is also the humble king. Zechariah 9 9, we look at, in ancient times when the king rode into a city, it was usually with a show of power and wealth. Remember when David defeated Goliath? He wasn't king at that time, but he rode into the city. What did he have? Goliath's head. What were the people doing? Cheering him on and standing and giving him ovations and praises and that's what happens in ancient times when you had a king who went out and conquered and he came back and he rode his chariot. And behind his chariot, what would he have behind his chariot? He'd have his army. And behind his army, he would have the spoils of his conquest. He'd have princes. He'd have kings and chains. He'd have slaves. He'd have gold. He'd have silver. But Jesus... Now being the king, now being announcing, announced being the king, he dazzled the people differently, didn't he? He didn't come in riding on a white horse. He didn't come into Jerusalem with an army behind him. He didn't come into Jerusalem with the spoils of his conquest. He came into Jerusalem humble, riding on a donkey. Humbleness is one of the royal attributes Zechariah mentions here. He says lowly, lowly in the Hebrew is humble and riding on a donkey. It's humility. It's gentleness. It's lowly. The king's humbleness is symbolized by his mode of transportation. At the very least, one would expect Jesus to ride a horse. But instead of coming as a mighty war horse or a proud stallion, he rides a lowly beast of burden. He's riding a donkey. What did Jesus say that we should put upon his shoulders? Give me all your... Hmm? My, bur my yoke is light. My burden is light. Give me all your burdens. And here he rides on a slowly beast of burden. Another indication of his humbleness is the relationship Jesus has with his subjects. He treats them as members of his own family. Zechariah's prophecy, what does it start out with? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. He treats his people as his people. He treats them as sons and daughters. He treats them as children. This is what the Lord says in Exodus. Israel is my firstborn. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes in Isaiah. And the word daughter here is remind us that he regards his people as own 
beloved children. Even Paul writes it in Galatians 3.26. He writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. Isn't that our goal? To be a child of God? What happens when you become a child of God? You get this inheritance, don't you? What is that inheritance? Eternal life. Living with him. All the fruits of heaven. All the things that are given through the Holy Spirit. It's a holy inheritance given to us as being children of God. King's humbleness is not a sign of weakness. If we read on, if we read on Zechariah 9, if you read verses 1 through 8, it says it describes how God will destroy Israel's ancient armies and enemies like the Syrians and the Philistines. And if you read on past verse 9, you would see that it says, I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. His humility, his gentleness, his lowliness is not a sign of weakness. Don't take it as a sign of weakness. It's a sign of love, mercy, charity towards us who love him. His promise one day is that the gospel of, of peace would be preached to all the kingdoms of this world. This promise was fulfilled with the coming of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, he did not come to be the King of the Jews only. He became the King of everyone. He had to die on that cross for you and me, for the Jews, for the Gentiles, for everyone. He didn't just die on the cross for the Jews. It was for all. He came to save the people from every tribe, language, and nation. What Christ the King proclaims to the nations is peace. There's a word in the Hebrew word in the Jewish language that calls for peace. It's called shalom. It's not simply the absence of war, that word means, but it's also the presence of welfare. Shalom is a God's fullest blessing of harmony and prosperity. In order to bring peace to all the nations, the Messiah must disarm his enemies, breaking the bow of the battle. He will come in righteousness one day. Not talking about the rapture, but his second coming. And in his righteousness, he will break the bow of his enemies. And he will make all things right in his will. One way Jesus displayed this unprecedented combination of power and humbleness was by performing miracles. Isaiah says, Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. These are miracles performed to confirm that he was the Messiah. He did all these miracles in front of thousands of people. And the Bible says that they couldn't contain all the stuff that he did. There would be volumes written about everything. If he wrote down every single miracle that Jesus performed, it'd be volumes. Read it in John. <clears throat> he couldn't contain it all. And even John the Baptist. Remember when he asked, are you the one or should we search for another? What did Jesus say? Look at what I've done. Look at the blind receive their sight. The lame walk. 
The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have got good news preached to them. Matthew 11, 4 through 5. He says, here's the evidence of who I am. You don't have to search for another. Just look at what I've done. I'm fulfilling prophecy. I'm fulfilling what God has written down. You know, miracles require a supernatural power. And only God can make the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and the dumb to speak. But then, you know, you come to the day and people will say, well, we have medicine. We heal the sick. We can sometimes create your vision back by doing surgery. We have technology for your hearing. We have all this stuff that we can do. We can do the same thing. But in reality, you can't. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus did all this without medicine. He did it all without surgery. He did it all with just speaking. His spoken word and his soft touch. For he's the creator. He healed a blind man who came to him and said, just simply touch me so that I may see. And he touched his eyes and he could see. He healed a woman who had a, a gushing of blood. And she just touched his cloak. I'd like to see somebody do that today. See, he didn't need technology. He's the creator. He didn't need medicine. He's the creator. He knows how to heal. He knows our needs. He knows what to do. He can do it all because he created it all. And yet people will think that, oh, Technology is our greatest feat in life. It's something so great. We're so proud of it. Are we really proud of our technology? What has technology brought us? Some good things, a lot of bad things. Internet, great technology, isn't it? If you want to look up things, <laughs> but if you want to look up good things and bad things, technology. Jesus performed these miracles absolute authority, yet he also performed them with perfect gentleness and humbleness. He was humble that the people brought the children to him. In Luke 18, 15, the people brought all their children, and he says, Suffer not, bring the children to me. Why? Because he wanted to reach the minds and hearts of the young people and their parents. Bring them to me. With the same regal grace, Jesus helps everyone who comes to him in faith. His kingship does not treat people rough or abusively. Instead, he rules with a humbleness and a healing and a wholeness. When we are disobedient, Jesus' humbleness and mercy restores us to the right path. When we are disheartened, Jesus' humbleness and mercy encourages us not to give up. When we are downcast, Jesus' humbleness wipes away our tears. Our rightful, victorious king has the power to help us and the humbleness and mercy to heal us. If we are saved by such a humble king, such a great king, such a merciful king, then we should serve him with all humility. Humility is one of the marks of the Christian the fruit of God's Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.23. Our lives should be living demonstrations of the meekness and humbleness of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.1. As I wrap things up here, no wonder the crowd goes, gave Jesus such a royal welcome. 
He was coming with all humbleness, all gentleness, all mercy. To be their rightful, victorious king must have been an amazing sight, not to mention the awesome sound. Thousands of people on the Passover. They said that sometime it would be a million people at the Passover in Jerusalem. A million people. These people would be coming in the gates and going out of the gates, and then they heard that their king is coming. I can see Jesus on the Mount of Olives looking at the city as he's riding his donkey and he sees the people coming out of the gates to greet him. And people were all around him, front and back, side, everywhere, waving palms, throwing down their cloaks that he could ride upon it, a procession in honor of, some, of the king. It's exactly the kind of welcome Jesus deserves. He is the son of David, our true and rightful king. To him we give all of our hosannas, he is our humble, merciful Savior. There was a hymn from Stregberg Salzer, and I'll end with this hymn. <clears throat> Thou art the king. <clears throat> Thou art the king of mercy and of grace, reigning powerful in every place. So come, O King, and our whole being sway. Shine on us with the light of thy pure day. Thou hast the truth and perfect humbleness. No harshness hast thou and no bitterness. Make us to taste the sweet grace found in thee and ever stay in thy sweet unity. Today we shout Hosanna to the Son of David. Save us to the Son of David. We wait for our coming King. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and glory and honor on this day. We celebrate that triumphal entry of your Son Jesus into Jerusalem, an entry worthy of a King. And yet throughout the rest of the week here, the joy turns to sorrow, and the sorrow turns to pain and suffering. And then we look forward to next Sunday when our joy can return again. That joy of your resurrection, allowing us now, knowing that you rose from the dead and that you've given us everlasting life through Jesus Christ. And only through him are we saved. And only by his blood have we been cleansed and his broken body. And we have the ability to have eternal life. Your word says that that we believe in him we shall be saved. And I ask all those who believe in him today to have the assurance that Jesus Christ is your Savior and that we need no other, no other revelation from Scripture, no other new revelation. Everything is here that God has written down and he has fulfilled all those prophecies before he was born that were written long ago. And now there's many prophecies, a few that have to be fulfilled when he comes again. But we believe because of those prophecies fulfilled in the past, they will be fulfilled in the future. And we give you all praise and honor and glory. Help us to be winners and witnesses to Jesus Christ and be able to give the message that was given to me so long ago that saved my soul from sin and disappointment and disobedience 
And we ask that we, anybody that would come to us, that we'd be able to give them that witness also. That witness that Jesus Christ is the only way. And we give you the glory. In your son's name, Jesus. Amen.